Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 192 called Dr. Laura Shaheen. Okay, guys, I'm so excited about my guest today. Dr. Laura Shaheen has been a friend of the podcast and a friend of Fertility Rally since we launched, and she is just an incredible, incredible woman. She's a reproductive endocrinologist who is all about educating and supporting people in their fertility journeys, and she actually has a fertility journey of her own that she's going to talk about as well. But you guys might know her from Instagram at Dr. Laura Shaheen. You might know her on TikTok. You might know the book she's written or the podcast that she hosts, which is called Baby or Bust. And I am lucky to call her a friend. She is just fucking awesome. She's funny. She's brilliant. She is a great friend to all, and she really, really, truly cares about this community. So without further ado, this is Laura Shaheen's Infertility Story. So Dr. Shaheen, it's so good to see you. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Ali. I'm excited to be here. You are so amazing for so many reasons. We'll get into all of them. But first (laughs) of all, you were at our first Fertility Rally Live virtual event. You were one of the speakers and now we're coming up on our fifth one. And I just want to thank you for being a friend of, you know, Mm -hmm. this podcast and a fertility rally. And you've just always been so willing to work with other people and share information. And that's kind of what you're whole thing is about. So I'm really thrilled to have you on finally. This community is so incredible and supportive and you are definitely a part of it. And I appreciate everything that you are doing. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into it. So I just went down a total wormhole on your social media channels because (laughs) if people don't know and follow you, I'm sure everybody does anyway already. But if you don't, please follow Dr. Laura Shaheen on TikTok, on Instagram, Instagram. What I love about you're so creative and you're constantly, I'm like, how does she do this? Like real talk. How do you do all these posts? Like, how do you find oh my the time? Gosh. How do you keep them all different? Like seriously, that's a full-time job in and of itself. You know, uh, people ask me that a lot. And if I didn't just absolutely love what I was doing, I wouldn't do it. And for me, it's, um, an incredibly creative outlet And I think now just because I've done it so long, I really can do a post very quickly. So Mm. it's pure joy. It doesn't feel like work. It's just getting a little bit of creativity out. And if I can support and educate one person, I'm trying to build a community just like you that, you know, I wish I had when I was going through fertility. I think we're all looking for incredible content and education and community um, and so places like Fertility Rally, places like Fertility Out Loud, you know, uh, hopefully my social media channels mm-hmm. and others can be a really great resource, I hope. Yes. Well, you you definitely seem to be having fun and like the passion for it is obvious because I have to admit, like sometimes when I have to do a reel or something, I'm like, grandma doesn't know how to do a reel. Like I'll have to like Google, <laughs> try to find some set. Like it's so it's, it, it is kind of work for me and I'm just like not naturally good at it. So whenever I watch something that you're doing and that's like, you're clearly having fun. I'm like, Oh, what's her secret? What's her. Oh gosh. Well, I remember my very first TikTok because it was the ASRM October, 2019. 
and I was in Natalie Crawford's hotel room. We were getting ready to go do an Instagram live with a bunch yep. of other, the docs that are active on social media. Yep. And I was like, Natalie, have you heard about this thing called TikTok? Apparently like a bunch of kids dance on it. It took me two and a half hours <laughs> to do my first TikTok because this was pre YouTube video. Right. And you just have to you have to forget perfection and you just have to put yourself out there and be, right. you know, willing to fail, right? Or, right? or it's not failure, but like be willing to be silly. And so I just know you're, do- you're doing a great job. <laughs> well, thank you. In all seriousness though, how has the social media changed like the way that you do your job and the way that you interact with your patients? I'm sure people have sought you out because they know of you on social media and they want to be a patient or work with you. So tell me a little bit about the effect that social media has had. I think it allows for people to find me, but even more importantly, it allows people to connect with me before they even meet me in person. And so I've always really tried to be an educator and also try to really connect with my patients because that level of trust is invaluable when you're literally handing over your family building to someone and it's not handing over, it's a partnership. And so I, I definitely find a lot of people these days have already followed me on Instagram or TikTok and have already gotten to know a little bit of my silly side. They kind of know a lot. They've watched all my, you know, YouTube channel videos. You know, I'm trying to teach them about an embryo transfer and they're like, Oh yeah, I already watched all three of your videos. And so, yeah, I'm good. And so that's that sort of faster doctor patient relationship that, and then I tell, you know, everyone, I'm like, okay, it's luxurious that we have 30 minutes to an hour for these fertility consults, but I want to talk to you for eight hours. So I can't do that. So that's why I have all this content, you know, the podcast, baby or bust or the YouTube channel so that people can go and figure out nutrition and fertility and, Mm -hmm. you know, fitness and fertility, because I I can't do it all in one visit. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so cool that like you, you're covering so many different topics in so many different ways, but making everything really like palatable and, you know, like digestible. Um, Cause this is so, as we both know, this is so confusing. I mean, you're the expert, you do this for a living, but having been in this world for the past two years, I feel like I'm still learning things and I'm still get confused by this versus that and what's what. So the fact that you're like laying it all out there, I think really has made such a big difference. Well, I also just think that there's so, I just think that when you maybe first start realizing that something's a little bit wrong, like uh, it's just not, you're not getting pregnant as soon as possible, or it's been a year. It's been, you know, even like three to six months, you start to think like, wait, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. It's hard to know where to go first. And it's really intimidating. So a lot of times people, you know, reach out, even just DM me on Instagram and just say, Hey, I'm in a different part of the country. You know, how can I find a doctor that's mm-hmm. going to help me? And so I always tell people about, you know, the fertility house calls, you know, that mm-hmm. website where you can kind of gather information and then kind of be connected with some doctors too. So, you know, just re- whether it's resolve.org or whether it's fertility out loud, the incredible, you know, website with a lot of like good content, you want people, there's so much content out there. You want people to be able to find a couple of good, solid evidence-based supportive resources. And I I hope that I can be one of them. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. So on the show, as you know, people talk about their own fertility journeys and I would love, I want to hear more about what you do. And I want to talk about your podcast and also about remote working, which is a, a thing that you're really passionate about. But before we get into all that, can you tell me, I know you've, you've said on your website, you always want to be a doctor. Did you always want to be a mother? <laughs> Did you always want oh, to be a mama? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I was just, I was just talking to a girlfriend about that this weekend about how I meet a lot of people that are very conflicted about being parents, you know, really wanted to focus on other things in life. And then all of a sudden realize that they're 40 and wait, this is something that I really wanted to do. I wish I had thought about this sooner. And I feel very fortunate that I always wanted to be a mom. I just knew. I remember going around distinctly. One of our last classes in medical school was kind of like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And everyone's talking about, oh, I want to be the best surgeon. I want to, you know, cure cancer. I want to do all these things. I was one of the last people to go. And I was like, I really want to be a good mom. And you could honestly hear like a pin drop. And I was like, <laughs> right. well, I want to be a great doctor too. But like, you know, that's not the only thing that I want to do with my life. Um, right. And that was not a very popular opinion Yeah, back in the dark ages when I was in medical school. And, um, <laughs> the dark but ages. I just, I just always knew, you know, and I, yeah. and I actually feel really fortunate about that. I'm, and I'm so glad that we have the technology now where people don't have to make a black and white decision, you know, for so long, it's sort of been like, um, when we are our most fertile, it's like we're focusing on other things, whether mm-hmm. it's grad school or building your career, or things like that. And now with egg freezing or even embryo freezing and fertility preservation, it's not perfect. It's not a guarantee, but it's an incredible avenue to just keep a few more options open so people don't feel forced to make a decision they aren't sure about. Mm-hmm. Did you, can you tell me about your, your story? So when you started to try to have kids, what happened? Oh, sure. So I had an IUD through my OBGYN residency at um, the university of California in San Francisco. And I was thrilled to get a fellowship appointment at Stanford. And so, um, so I knew kind of what my path was and I was really nervous about trying before I knew. And um, in my last year of residency, um, I took out my IUD or my chief resident took out my ID. <laughs> and, um, and then I was like, okay, this is just going to be magic. Right. Like right. that is just going to happen immediately. And I just kept not, not getting a period. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not getting a period. What's going on? I, and I was like, I must've trashed my uterus, right? Like I know the evidence does not support that IUDs hurt fertility, but there's a difference between being a doctor and reviewing evidence of the patient and being a woman who is trying to have a baby. And mm. I just was so nervous. And so I went back to my chief resident. I was like, Hey, can I, um, can I just have some Clomid? Like, just give me something. She's like, Laura, like, let's at least check met some labs. Let's kind of figure this out a little bit. And I was like, no, just give me a prescription. Come on. It's the worst. I was the worst patient. <laughs> and so we checked labs and sure enough, I had a high prolactin. So prolactin is a hormone that comes from the pituitary gland to actually help with milk letdown or or, um, nursing, breastfeeding. And if it's elevated, it can really throw off ovulation. Mm. And so she's like, all right, before we just try to, you know, give you Clomid and, you know, do this, like, let's treat the issue. And I was like, oh, okay. And you know what? I honestly never got a period, which is just amazing. So, you know, you ovulate right before you get a period. And I just miraculously with my daughter, got pregnant as soon as I figured out what was going on. 
and just never had a period. So that was just literally a miracle. That's so interesting. But I thought it was so ironic that here yeah. I was, I'd matched in reproductive endocrinology and right. then I was diagnosed with something that I'm going to diagnose like the rest of my life. And I totally, just, well, yeah. that's what I was going to say before is there's so many people in the medical field who <laughs> do have infertility and, you know, there's the statistic, I feel like, is it like one in six or something like that? So, um, yeah. So it's or, okay. You so might the know general, the yeah, the general population is one in eight couples right. that are trying to conceive and the statistic for physicians is one in four. One in four. Okay. Yeah. It's, I knew it was yeah, something absolutely. Um, so do you think that that's because people are in school for so long and putting off family building or I, like, what's your theory on, on why obviously it's everybody's gotta be but... a mixed bag, right? Mm -hmm. It's gotta be a little bit of delayed childbearing, a little mm -hmm. bit of incredibly stressful career at the time that you're trying to build your family it's just got to be a mix of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then also doctors make the worst patients like me. So it's so funny. I didn't Dr. want Ruhi Jelani said that same thing when I was interviewing her, she was like, I'm the worst patient. And I was like, but you're like a brilliant doctor. So you're saying the same thing. I know Ruhi is the best. Yeah. She is one of the yes. most brilliant people I know. And, but it's true. And I remember trying for my second for my son Right. When I was in fellowship um, at Stanford and just thinking like, well, I've got this, like, I know what, what I need to do. I just need to, you know, stop, stop trying to conceive because now I'm ready. And then I'll just take my medication to help my prolactin. And it's just going to be easy peasy like the first time. And then it just didn't happen. And it just didn't happen. And I just, the irony of, again, being a fertility doctor and mm -hmm. not being able to get pregnant was just mm -hmm. so frustrating. Yeah. So what happened? What did you do? This episode is brought to you by Vegamore. I'm always trying to do right by my body. So when it comes to my hair and scalp health, finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off. But with Vegamore, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp. With Vegamore, I am able to have noticeably thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. Every cute pink bottle of Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Okay, so I got my box of Vegamore products and I've been using them all for the past month. The shampoo, the conditioner, the grow hair serum, the hair foam, the eyelash serum, the eyebrow serum. It's been about a month, like I said, and my hair really does feel stronger and thicker everything looks better. And the shampoo in particular, I have to say, smells really good. The key is consistency in your routine for your most beautiful, healthy looking hair. I use Vegamore Grow Hair Serum daily, and my hair and scalp are feeling better than ever. Here's another cool thing. Vegamore has these great value kits like the Grow Essentials Kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product at a time at great savings. So when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you save more and you never run low on the products that you need. And fun fact, guys, Vegamore sells one bottle of the Grow Hair Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how good this stuff is. So here is the deal, my beautiful listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off your first order by going to vegamore.com slash infertileaf and using code infertileaf at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash infertileaf, code infertileaf to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A 
M-O-U-R.com slash Infertile AF, code Infertile AF. Thanks, Vegamore. Well, um, you know, the IUIs didn't work. All the testing looked like everything was okay. So I kind of fit this just horrible diagnosis of unexplained secondary infertility. And I see so many of my patients struggle with this because I just, I think I really put off, you know, actively doing something because I just was so convinced that this was, it was just going to happen like it did the first time. Mm -hmm. So I see people who are, it's very easy to conceive the first time, really Mm -hmm. delaying seeking care. And I, if I could get one message out there, it's like, Hey, just kind of get checkup sooner. So we tried simple treatment. It wasn't successful. Um, and I was so fortunate that IVF resulted in multiple embryos because I sure needed a bunch of transfers. And another thing I can really relate to is just, just like wanting the whole process to be over. Like I finally got to the point where I was just like, Oh my gosh, just transfer two embryos because I don't care if I have twins. I just don't want to do another transfer. And my sweet, amazing husband was just like, absolutely not. Like, (laughs) absolutely not. And that, and honestly, when I finally just sort of surrendered a little bit to the process and just sort of really focused on kind of just taking my meds and doing what my doctors told me. I, anyway, I don't know, but that was the transfer that was finally mm-hmm. successful. And I have my, my sweet son and I'm yeah. feel very fortunate. Um, How many transfers did you do? It was three. three okay. um, and I know that yeah. that's, that does, I'm so hesitant to really focus so much on my own journey. Sure. I know I, I never, ever, I think when people are trying to comfort other people with things, they often try to interject their own experiences to say like, oh, I understand exactly what you're going through. And I see my patients that have done, you know, six transfers and 10 transfers. And and so anything more than one just feels awful, but, um, I think it all feels awful. And, you know, we always (laughs) say it's not the pain Olympics. It's not like, you know, I have people who are want to be on the podcast, but they're like, my story's not as dramatic as some of the other ones. And I'm like, that doesn't matter. It's not like who has the most drama or who's gone through them. I mean, we're all, anybody that has to go down this road, whether it's one transfer, IUI, whatever it is, you know, deciding not to seek treatment, mm-hmm. it all sucks. It's just all sucks. So it's like, I I everybody's agree. story is, is valid. Yeah, um, I agree. I know. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of people that feel nervous about sharing the fact that they're having secondary infertility, meaning trying for a baby after they've had a baby That's, in that the was past. Me. I had secondary yeah. infertility. My daughter I had with no issues. And then, like you said before, um, you know, I just I I didn't think there was going to be an issue. So we did, we waited a couple of years before I started trying again. And then at that point I was like 37, going on 38. And you know, I've had, I didn't seek treatment like you were saying until four miscarriages later. And then I was like, something's wrong. Something's going on. So yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry that you had that journey. But I'm, I'm very, very lucky that IVF did work for me and now I have my son as well. So it was a journey, but again, you know, that's, I'm just saying that to say that secondary infertility is its own kind of bag of craziness and, you know, there's guilt involved and there's, people, you know, saying like, but you already have one kid. What are you doing? Why are you putting yourself through this? And it's hard to explain to people that aren't 
in it, you know, yeah. I don't know if you and, felt that way. Well, another weird thing is that, you know, the question started at my daughter's first birthday. I very much remember like, oh, when are you going to have another? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh I'm my gosh. Yeah. So thankful that I have one. Can I just totally. be a little happy? And then another weird thing that I think about is it's so hard <laughs> to be a mom to a baby and then be trying for another one because you are around people with their second and their third kids and you're going to birthday parties and you're going to the playground and you're doing the gym classes or all those things. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, you can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's its own kind of hell. It is <laughs> totally. Absolutely. I remember that very vividly. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about your podcast, which is incredible. It's called Baby or Bust. You recently interviewed Louise Brown. So tell everybody, can, I don't want to give anything away because we want them to listen to your episode, but can you just give me like okay. a really sneak peek, you know, who, tell everybody who she is in case people oh, don't absolutely. know. Oh my gosh. Well, you might be doing a podcast for the same reason that I am. I just think of it as an incredible excuse to talk to people. Totally. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm Cats like, out of the bag. <laughs> I'm like, do you want to just have a chat? And, yeah. and people are like, no, I don't want to talk to you on a Sunday night at 7 p.m. I'm like, oh, but I have a podcast. So will you talk to me now? And they're like, totally. oh, okay. And so you've met the coolest people. Oh, right? no question. Yeah. It's been like so you. Awesome. <laughs> well, like you back at you, but it's just, it's been so, it's been so awesome. I can't. Yeah, what yeah. a great excuse. I mean, this season has been so fun. So uh, Louise Brown is the very first IVF baby born mm -hmm. on July 25th, you know, 1978. And mm -hmm. I remember learning about her in middle school science class and seeing a picture of her in my textbook. See, that's then, so interesting that you say that and not to interrupt, sorry, but I didn't learn anything about fertility in middle school. So good, good for you oh. that you did, you know, <laughs> like when I cool. saw you say that on, on your Instagram and I was like, wow, she learned about that in middle school. That's very cool. It is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do feel like, so and I was born not too much longer after her. And mm -hmm. so I've kind of seen her grow up a little bit. And I remember, you know, when she had her 20th birthday and her 30th birthday, and then her 40th birthday was just huge. She mm -hmm. came to ASRM, which is mm -hmm. our national fertility conference. And, you know, I got to meet her. I was teasing her today. I was like, I, I think I'm the only person that didn't take a selfie with you. I'm like, I wish I, <laughs> she's so, and she's so sweet and she's really taken such an extraordinary, you know, birth of like, it wasn't her choice mm -hmm. and she could absolutely just, you know, shy away from it, but she's really used it as a tool for advocacy, you mm -hmm. know, and really trying, she really, she has pretty, comes from pretty humble background, including mm -hmm. her parents. And she feels that the, you know, the doctors that helped her, Dr. Steptoe, and then the biologist, Robert Edwards, we're really doing this to help everyone mm -hmm. and that she really feels grounded in that. And she's trying to advocate for everyone who needs it to have access to care. So we really talked a mm -hmm. lot about that, how different it is in the UK, which is where she is and mm -hmm. the United States. Um, but yet just the whole, you know, stigma, lack of funding for a disease that could really benefit from you know, a medical intervention and oh, right. it's just a great com conversation. Yeah. And her, she was pretty controversial, right? When she was born, like that was not, it, like you said, in, in your social media, it was just polarizing. Absolutely. So she got her first um, marriage proposal when she was five days old. And then the very next week she got a hate mail package from San Francisco with like a broken test tube. 
Oh my God. You know, and just um, like test you baby kind of reference. Um, So just, yeah, really controversial and polarizing, but yet she's, she's like, there's much more good in the world than bad. Right. And she's like, that's what I'm trying to focus on. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, so how would you say like having gone through fertility stuff yourself, how has that made you a better interviewer and a better, you know, doctor? Like, do you feel like you have more empathy towards the people that you talk to having gone through something yourself? Yeah, I think that there are amazing physicians in every field that can be incredible physicians without actually going through the process. But I do think that I think about things a little bit differently. I might feel it a little bit in a different way. And, um, and I don't like wear a t-shirt and tell every one of my patients like, Oh, I did IVF too, but (laughs) you don't, (laughs) I guess if they see me on Instagram, they'd figure it out. But I, um, I, you know, I can kind of sometimes connect with someone in a way that just sort of says like, you know, this can really happen to anyone. And especially when people are worried about long-term effects of IVF or birth defects or Mm -hmm. things like that. I say, listen, if I really thought I was hurting someone, I wouldn't do this and help people build families in this way. And I wouldn't have my own little IVF baby at home. And you can just kind of see the worry just kind of melt away Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of IVF, one of the things that you are speaking out about recently, which I think is really interesting is working remotely and how that can affect somebody going through treatment, you know, IVF or whatever they're going through. Can we talk about that a little bit? Um, what, first of all, why is that so important to you right now? Is it because most people are like in some capacity working remotely? Yeah, I think I'm just fascinated at how the pandemic and quarantine and now coming out of it has really impacted all aspects of life and specifically for fertility. I mean, there were back in 2020, I was sometimes the only person some people who who were freezing eggs, you know, would talk to. They're sitting in a, you know, like their little apartment in Capitol Hill, which is a couple blocks away from our clinic here in Seattle. And, you know, they're just, you know, working remotely. And like, we were the only opportunity for them to like, get out of the house was to come get their ultrasound. I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I wish we could monitor your ovaries in a different way. And they're like, Oh no, I'm so excited just to see something. We haven't talked about anybody in like two weeks. (laughs) Exactly. And so that was a real extreme and thank goodness we're out of those dark times. Did you guys have to cancel Um, a lot of cycles and stuff at that point? You know, we, we, we had about a four to six week period where we um, stopped any new cycles we finished. And then Mm -hmm. we did some cancer patients that, you know, really needed the clinic didn't close, but we Mm -hmm. just really shut things down in order to get PPE, you know, Mm -hmm. get our protocols in line. Like I, I remember talking to doctors in Wuhan, China, you know, over zoom, like all the doctors in the country were just trying to help each other figure out how to, you know, give safe IVF care. Not that it was elective. It's absolutely not elective. Time is essential, but like, okay, just give me like four to six weeks to like, make sure my team is safe and my patients are safe. So smart. Yeah. And then a thing that patients have always had a real tough time when they're doing the IVF cycle is it's a pretty intense two weeks. And, um, if they aren't able to, you know, share with their team at work, why they need to have five doctor's appointments in the span of about two weeks, right? Like that's an average, right? Then, you know, how many 
dental appointments can you come up with? Right. <laughs> totally. And so uh, I think the best thing is to build that ally and be able to ha- share with someone at work. You'll right. be surprised how many people are like, oh, I did that too. But if you, you know, in the setting of the remote work, it's at least for my patients that are doing a lot of software. So again, I'm in Seattle. So a lot of people are in the tech field. Um, you know, it's much less stressful because mm-hmm. they can just schedule meetings around their appointments. Totally. So I do see that people might who might have been putting things off for a little while because they just didn't see how they could do it with travel or all right. those type of things have, have really decided to do fertility treatment because they finally found some space to do it. And so that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. One thing that's hard is just being remote and not really connecting with friends and things is trying to find resources to sort of help figure out where you're going to go, or even if you have the time to do it, how you're going to learn about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do see people, you know, the use of social media has gone up astronomically, the use of really good websites. People are using that and and really hungry for content that can help guide them in the right direction. So mm-hmm. that's changed too. Right. Yeah. When we first started, we were going to be do like in big in-person events and stuff. And then we had to switch to virtual, which actually be ended up being a blessing because for like Fertility Rally Live, we're able to reach people globally. So I can see, you know, kind of both sides of it, how it's it's got its pros and cons, but it's pretty cool now to be able to do stuff. And I'm sure you would agree like ASRM and doing things more in person now and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, patients love the telemedicine visits um, just because they really, you know, you can have, if you do have a partner, you know, you and your partner can be in two different places and just kind of, there's a lot of times people kind of come out of wherever they're working and just take the telemedicine visit in the car. And oh yeah, it's so um, much more efficient in so many ways, not having to drive to the appointment, find parking, go in, wait in the waiting room, all that stuff. Exactly. I miss that personal connection. Yeah, right. Um, sometimes the first time I'm seeing my patients in person is for, you know, an ultrasound, but it is, again, it, it, I think that there's pros and cons. And I imagine that we're not going to, I imagine it'll be hybrid, just how a lot of uh-huh. things are sort of hybrid. I think yeah. we're, we're still seeing people in person, of course, for things that we have to, but the consults are able to be over telemedicine and patients just love it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Before we wrap, cause I know you're so busy and you have to go do a million <laughs> things and you have to make more TikToks. Um, <laughs> if somebody's listening and they're new to this world, can you give just like two or three really quick bits of advice about just navigating this overwhelming world of infertility? What do you tell like new patients or just new people that you talk to that are like, I don't even know where to start. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I think it's important to realize that they are not alone there's this incredible fertility community, whether you find it on social media or resolve.org is a great way to find connections with people. And, you know, they, they have Zoom visits where it's like group connections and kind of group counseling. That's an incredible resource. And then I think it's important to educate yourself a little bit about fertility because we do not learn this very well in right. health class. And there's so many people that don't, know how the menstrual cycle works. And I was one of them until I learned it in OBGYN residency, right? Like that is nothing and people feel guilty about it, but, you know, finding resources again, like, you know, fertility out loud, my social media resolve.org. These are great resources to go to and read and be careful what you read online. When someone is 
really trying to sell certainty, you know, like, oh, you know, you will get pregnant if you do these five things or take this supplement or take my class. It's like, you know, you want to find resources that are more like you can feel that they're really trying to educate and support you, Mm -hmm. not trying to actively sell you something. And there is a difference and people can get it. So you're not alone, find the right resources, and then just do not be afraid to advocate for your care and ask for questions. If you don't find that right physician, you know, their resources, you know, ASRM has great lists, um, fertility, um, health calls has great lists of doctors. Did I say ASRM? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you (laughs) did. Okay, maybe I'll say that again. So ASRM has a great list of physicians. Resolve.org has a great Mm -hmm. list of physicians and fertility house calls. These are all great places to find doctors that really focus on fertility. A lot of people stick with their general practitioner or their general OBGYN for a little bit too long. And they really wish that they'd seen a specialist sooner. Yeah. I love that what you said earlier about it being a, a, you know, a partnership, a team, like you want to work with these patients. So there's a lot of people that I talk to that are like my doctor, I'm just a number. I've never even met my doctor. And I'm always like, it doesn't have to be like that. There's amazing people like Dr. Laura Shaheen that do want to make it a partnership and a team. So follow her on Instagram, everybody. It's Dr. Laura, L-O-R-A Shaheen. Follow her on TikTok if you want to go down like a four-hour wormhole. Like <laughs> Listen to Baby or Bus. What else? Where? What do people want to work oh, with? Oh gosh, thank you. I of mean, course. I you know I first got into this because I wrote books on fertility, so I have Planting the Seeds of Pregnancy, which is Eastern and Western approaches to care, not broken. You know, an approachable yes. guide to miscarriage. Love so that. books and website, any media, and then definitely listen to the podcast. I love. I love talking to people and I learned so much from just doing baby or bust. It's a true joy. It is so good. Well, thank you for taking the time and (laughs) hopefully we'll see you in person soon. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Allie. It's just such a joy. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And Dr. Shaheen, you are just amazing. I can't say enough good things about you guys. Definitely follow her on Instagram. It's Dr. Laura L O R a Shaheen and follow her TikToks too. They're really incredible. So also I wanted to remind you guys that fertility rally live, our fifth one, it's totally completely free. It's happening this Saturday, October 22nd. It's all virtual. You can watch the replay if you can't make it live, but we have eight hours of talks and we have poured our hearts into this content to bring you guys everything and anything we could think of. It's different from all of our last four. You know, we're talking about inside the IVF lab of the future. We're talking about unfucking your friendships and relationships while navigating infertility. We talk to an embryologist. We talk about treatment costs. We talk to a surrogacy lawyer talking about Roe v. Wade, talking about holistic fertility, all the things. We also have a happy hour at the end of the day, which is absolutely incredible. Prizes all day long, giveaways from fertility-friendly brands, and just interactive chat with your fellow TTC sisters. So please join us. Link is in my bio and check out Fertility Rally on Instagram for even more. We really, really hope to see you guys there. We want as many people as possible to come and enjoy this content we've put together and walk away feeling educated and inspired and supported. So thank you guys. Hope to see you there. And thank you for listening. <laughs>